1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. And uh, I want to read the first four verses, but we'll specifically zero in on verse 1 this morning. That's probably as far as we'll get. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I want to stop reading right there, but I want you to notice, I'm sure you've already picked up on it, that the exhortation that is in this text is a call to prayer. It is an exhortation for the church to pray. And I believe there's a specific exhortation in here. That's why I wanted to get out of verse 1 and, and put it, keep it in context here, even though we're going to zero in just on verse 1 this morning. But I believe that we'll find out as we examine the text that there is a specific call, there is a specific exhortation, not just to pray, but to pray for people. And not just to pray for people, but to pray for lost people. And so that's what I want to preach on just for a moment this morning. I want to preach on praying for the lost. Very simple title, a very simple message, but a very powerful truth if we'll get a hold of it this morning. God, help us with it. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning and help us. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you as a, as a needy, needy person. Lord, I'm just desperate, Lord, for you. I, I can't do anything without you. Lord, my, my preaching this morning will have zero impact, Lord, as long as it's just words, as long as it's just a man's wisdom or man's thoughts. But, Father, I pray that it would be uh, in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, may the Word of God go forth and make an impact in our lives. May we get a burden, Lord, for those that we know that are going to hell. Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd put us under a burden to pray, Lord, for those that are lost. Lord, even today, Lord, may we not leave this building, Lord, without, without praying, Lord, for those that are on their way to hell without you. And Father, I pray that you would interrupt our comfortableness of our lives. And Lord, give us some disruption, some holy, healthy disruption, dissatisfaction in our hearts, Lord, when it comes to those that are lost and don't know you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with these things. Help me with these things. I, I need it more than anybody. Father, I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to note again that prayer is the subject of this text. And that is because prayer is the business of the church. That's what we do. That's what churches do. They pray. We do a lot of things, but above all, in fact, the exhortation here is first of all. He makes a priority in verse 1 of saying that this is the first command that is given to the church as a whole. In chapter 1, it's all about what Timothy needs to do personally. He is to guard the doctrine of the church. That is the pastor's job. But now Paul is giving Timothy things to talk to the whole church about. And he says, first of all, we got to deal with this issue of prayer above all. It is the priority. Jesus even said that my house shall be called the house of what? Prayer. It's a house of prayer. 
I like what Oswald Chambers said. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer is not a preparation for the work. It is the work. Prayer is not a preparation for battle. It is the battle. Amen. We don't pray for the ministries of our church. Prayer is the ministry of our church. Everything ought to grow out of our prayer ministry here. If it has not been bathed and soaked and saturated in prayer, it is already doomed to fail before it ever starts. In fact, one of the things we ought to be most afraid about is that we will have some measure of quote-unquote success, but never bathe it in prayer. Never ask God to touch it. Never ask God to bless it. Listen, if this church isn't going to go for it on its knees, I don't want this church to go for it at all. Moses spoke to God in prayer and he said, God, if you're not going to go ahead of us, if you're not going to lead us, we don't want to go at all. It's not that we want to get into Canaan land. It's that we want to follow you. We only want to get into there if if you're leading the way. And may that be the prayer of every one of our hearts. Uh, for our families, for our, for our jobs, for our lives, for our church, for our ministries. God, I don't want to do anything if it's not you leading the way. And it must be bathed in prayer. And specifically, our prayer is to be about people. It's not a what are we praying about, it's a who are we praying for. Notice what he says at the end of verse number 1. He says, for all men. For all men. We're praying for all men. This is a call from Scripture for the church to go to God on behalf of men. One of the greatest privileges you'll ever have is to go to God on the behalf of somebody else. And it's a command for Christians to be intercessors, to be interceders on the behalf of other people. How many of you would agree that most of our prayer life really is consumed with ourselves? I know mine can get that way. My prayer life can get real selfish real quick. And while there's nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with praying for what you need. Listen, if you got a need, tell them about it. If you got a complaint, tell them about it. Amen. If you got something going on, tell them about it. Amen. Tell them everything you got. But can I tell you something? Do not neglect this area of praying for somebody else. It's one of the sweetest times you'll ever have with God. It's just lifting up somebody else's name in prayer. We view prayer as something that we have to do when our lives get uncomfortable. You know, when one of our three cars quits working. Or one of our, you know, uh, we got, to, or, or something's going wrong, you know, or, or vacation gets cut short, or, you know, just one of them like third world problems, you know, or first world problems, not third world, first world problems. You know, uh, uh, we got something, you know, man, the refrigerator breaks. Man, well, at least you got electricity. You got a refrigerator, amen. You know, the washer and dryer go, well, hey, praise God, you had a washer and dryer that worked for a little while, amen. And you can probably go get you another one, amen. Man, we complain about so many things and our prayers are so shallow and so selfish and so self-consumed. And again, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself, but most of our prayer life just burns. It comes out of when we get a little uncomfortable. It's nothing about the spiritual health and wealth of somebody else. It's all about ourselves. And prayer should be viewed as our God-given ministry for other people. 
Listen, most of you sitting out there, you'll never stand behind this pulpit and preach a message. You may never stand behind a podium and teach a class. You may never stand in the choir and sing a song or sing a special or play the piano. You may never do all kind of things that go on in the local church. But can I tell you, every single person in here, you have a ministry. That is the ministry of prayer. No one is excluded from that. There is no gift of prayer. There is no spiritual gift to pray. Everybody can pray. If you are a child of God, you have been given an invitation into the throne room of God to come and find grace to help in a time of need. Amen. Amen. It's not special privilege, special access. It's just being a part of being, of the, being a part of the family of God, being a child of God. One of the greatest things you could ever do is to pray for somebody. I take that as a pastor. I take that as one of the greatest things anybody could ever do for me is pray for me. When somebody asked Spurgeon about the success of his ministry, he'd always respond with this, my people pray for me. That's what he said. Anybody say anything about the crowds or the ministry or their influence, he'd always say, my people pray for me. They had a boiler room. That's what he called it, the boiler room at the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle where people would go in that, in, that, in, that, in that room, that prayer room, and that's what they did. They prayed. During service, somebody, people were in there praying. Throughout the week, people were in there praying. They were praying for their preacher. Amen. I heard somebody say, don't pray for another preacher. Pray for the one you got. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know. You might be praying for another preacher. I don't know. But until you get one, will you pray for the one you got? Amen. <laughs> Amen. I need, I need prayer. You can do both, amen, if you want to. But at least pray for me while I'm here, amen. Because I'm going to tell you what, God lifts up the preacher. God helps the preacher. That benefits everybody, doesn't it? Because everybody's got to listen to him, amen. Everybody's following him. Everybody's being led. And listen, pray for the preacher. Wives, pray for your husbands. Husbands, pray for your wives. Pastors, pray for your congregation. Congregation, pray for your pastors. Listen, we ought to be praying one for another. Parents, for God's sake, pray for your children, please. If you're not praying for your kids, probably nobody else is. You ought to pray for your boss that you work for. Employers, you ought to pray for your employees. Pray that God will touch them and help them. Teachers, you ought to pray for your students. Students, you ought to pray for your teachers. I'm just saying, when it says all men, I just believe it means all men. It means everybody. Pray for everybody. And I know we don't have a list of everybody in the world. That doesn't mean you get the phone book out and start... I don't even know if they have phone books anymore, but and don't find an old phone book and start going through it and praying for every name. I mean, you can do that if you want to. But what that means is everybody that God puts in your path, everybody that God hooks you up with, everybody you know, even people you don't even know, but you just know about them. Somebody mentions their name, mentions a situation. Breathe their name in prayer. That's what we do on Wednesday nights when we come in here. We pray. We take prayer requests. You know why? Because we're following this command right here. It's not just something we do on Wednesday night. That's a biblical command to pray for one another. James said, pray for one another that you may be healed. We pray for one another. We pray for all men. We take it to the Lord in prayer. The Bible is filled with so many examples of intercessory prayer. People going to God on the behalf of somebody else. Remember Abraham prayed for Lot. Moses prayed for Israel many times, stood in the gap, made up the hedge, said, God, please listen, if you're going to, block, if you're going to, if you're going to wipe them out, blot my name out if you're going to do that. Just take me with you. Take me with them. Samuel prayed for Israel. He was brokenhearted over the state of Israel and King Saul and all those things that were going on, even the fact that they wanted a king to begin with. 
In 1 Samuel chapter number 12, he, he lambasts them pretty good. He tells them, you know, listen, you're going to get what you want, but it ain't going to be what you thought it was. But in that chapter, he also says, says this, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You know what Samuel said? You're going the wrong way. You're not doing the right thing. But I'm going to tell you something what I want to do. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, Samuel said it would be a sin against the Lord if I were to stop praying for you. James said it's not just sins of commissions, it's sins of omission, right? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. If you know it's good to pray for somebody else and you don't know it and you don't do it, what does that make it? It makes it a sin. Samuel took it seriously. He said it's a sin not against them, it's a sin against the Lord. How to be sinning against God if I stop praying for you? I can't help but think about Jesus in John chapter number 17, that great high priestly prayer. What he did that whole prayer, you know what he did? He was praying for his disciples. And he prayed for me and he prayed for you in that prayer too. Not just those, not just the disciples that he had, but all those that would believe thereafter. That's me. Is that any of y'all in here? Jesus prayed for you. Oh, by the way, he still is. Amen. He still is. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. We're to pray for all men. The Bible says, I thought about praying for all men. We are to pray for the loved, those that we love, our church, our family, our friends. We ought to pray for the loaded, those that are going through a difficult, difficult time. Tell you what, there, there's so many there's people in this room right now, you're going through things that, man, I know it's just crushing your heart. It's just breaking your heart. Man, they need somebody praying for them. They need somebody that'll shoulder the load. That's By the way, that's what we do at church. We ain't supposed to be adding to each other's load. We're supposed to be bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Praying for somebody. When's the last time you prayed for somebody? When's the last time you let somebody know, hey, I'm praying for you? That's probably one of the, one of the, one of the greatest lies, one of the most told lies we say at church is, I'll be praying for you. We ought to say, I'll be talking about you. Now, if we said that, that would be a little more honest. I'll be praying for you. And then we go on through our lives and we don't ever think about, think about them ever again. We ought to pray for our leaders. That's verse number two. And I'm going to get into a little bit more of that in the uh, next week. But for kings and all that are in authority, we ought to pray for them. I thought about it. Let me show you a little, a little something. That I, I feel like this is right. I can't find anybody that agree with me, but sometimes I feel like I'm right no matter what anybody else says. Y'all ever feel that way? Pray for the... I said this. Pray for the leavers. Those that have left. There's a word in here. Now, when I study a passage, I just do, I go word by word. I just study every single word. I try to examine every single one of them. And I got to the word therefore. Well, you know, in verse number one, he said, I exhort therefore. That means in light of everything that I just said. Well, what did, what did, Tim, what did, what did Paul just write to Timothy about in chapter number one? He talks about two men that were put out of the church. Hymenaeus and Alexander, men that were teaching heresy, men that were wrong, men that wouldn't repent. And he goes, write it. This is a letter. Paul didn't say chapter 2. Paul just wrote a letter. And right there, right, and it said, I exhort therefore, in light of the fact that there are people that have left us, there are people that won't get right, there are people that are not right with God, hey, get on your knees and pray for them. Amen. You know what Paul was telling Timothy to do and the whole church to do? Oh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, don't quit praying for them. They've been delivered over to Satan, but we're praying that they'll get right. We're praying they'll learn not to blaspheme. 
We're praying, they'll, we're praying that God will do a work in their heart and they'll come back and get right. How many are burdened for some people that they'll get right with God? Man, I tell you, man, that breaks my heart to see people shipwreck their life. People, get, man, just, just fall off this thing. Just get away from God. Run away from everything that they know is right. Well, there's some sitting in here this morning. I want you to know something. We love you. We're praying for you. I don't mean that in a condescending way, like we're praying for you, like you're such an awful sinner, you know. We're going to pray for you. No, we mean that we really are praying for you. You know what I believe Paul believed about Hymenaeus and Alexander? He hated their doctrine. He hated their heresy, but he loved them. He loved them. He wanted to see them get right. In fact, the Bible, even if somebody is your enemy, even if somebody is absolutely against you, they're trying to hurt you. You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, bless them that curse you. And then what he say? Pray for them which despitefully use you. Luke 6.38. Pray for them. People that are... They're not, it's not that they're just ignoring you. It's not that they just left you. But they are actively seeking to hurt you. You know what he said? Pray for them. Call their name out. You know what I found? It's hard to get bitter against somebody you're praying for. It's hard to get mad at somebody you're praying for. Amen. It's hard to hate somebody you're praying for. And when I say praying for them, I'm not talking about praying that they get hit by a meteorite, an asteroid. I'm not praying that you know, they walk in front of a bus or something like that. I'm talking about God would help them. That God would help you to love them. Everybody okay? Praying for these. But specifically, you know, as I've said, the command here is not just praying for all these other people, but he gets real specific. The reason why we ought to pray for people is because they're lost. In fact, and I believe this is the context, not just praying for them generically, but I believe Paul specifically I mean, he gets to this specifically talking about praying about lost people because he talks about all men. That word all pops up a lot in these verses, and we'll talk about that later. But he said, be made for all men. He talks about for kings and for all that are in authority. Why should we pray for all men? Well, he says it in verse number 4, because God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Why are we to pray for all men? Because God wants all men to be saved. Because all men are sinners. And all men have been commanded to repent. And all men need to be saved. And Jesus died for all men. And Jesus wants all men to be saved. I believe that with all... I don't believe there's one person that's ever died and went to hell that God was satisfied about that. Since that He wanted it to happen. And there's some theological things in there. We might get into some of that next week, but... Just simply, you got to do some Bible gymnastics to come to the conclusion you think God wants some people to go to hell. The Bible clearly states He wants all people to be saved. In verse number 1, we find that Paul does not just say pray for all men. And I want you to notice back in verse number 1, and I believe specifically we're talking about the lost here. I believe that's what he's getting to. That's, a, that's eventually what Paul's getting at. And I want to think of it in that, in that context of praying for lost people because he doesn't just say pray for all men. Do you see that? Verse number 1, it's not that he just says pray for all men. What does he say? He says there needs to be supplications. 
prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. What does that mean? Why didn't Paul just say, I want you to pray for all men? Why does he use these four synonyms like that? Well, although they are all the same, they all speak of prayer. But there's a little, there's a little nuance about each one of them that gives us a little insight about praying for those that are lost. I want to help you. I want, I want to help your prayer life this morning. I want to help you as you pray for somebody in your family that you know is lost, somebody that you work with, somebody that you live beside, somebody that you've been witnessing to, somebody that you're praying for that's lost. I believe these words imply a couple things. We're going to give a word with each one here. The first word I want to give you, that word supplications, I want you to notice that I believe that that word supplications, it implies, first of all, requesting. Requesting. This word implies that a person going to another person with a serious request, that's what the word supplication means. It means for me to come to you. If I were to come to you and ask you for something, that's what supplication is. But it's more than just, it's more than just, a, uh, just asking. It is, a, it is a very serious petition. It is bringing a very serious, very specific petition to God on behalf of somebody else. It's, it's, it's begging almost. It's pleading. It's, it's being emotionally involved, supplicating. You know, James said that we have not because why? We ask not. I'll tell you why we're not seeing as many lost people saved maybe as we used to. I'll tell you why. Why? Because we're not praying for them like we used to. It's just that simple. Jesus, how many believe God wants to save people? When's the last time you asked Him to do that? You say, why do I got to ask God to do something He already wants to do? Because that's how prayer works. I didn't write the Bible. I just believe it. Amen. Amen. Jesus prayed to His Father. He said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Well, God's going to send His kingdom to this earth. It's going to happen. But that don't mean we don't quit praying for it. Amen. That's just how prayer works. Gets God's will accomplished on it. That is the vehicle. That is the means that God has used to get His will accomplished on this earth. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't understand everything there is to know about prayer. I don't understand everything there is to know about the sovereignty of God and prayer and all these things. All I know is that we are commanded by the Word of God to pray for the lost. And we don't, we're not seeing them saved because we're not asking. When's the last time you spent in prayer over those that are lost, those that are on their way to hell? While we're praying for our comfort and we're praying because we're aggravated because we are stuck in traffic. That's what we pray about. We pray about traffic and our, and our hangnails and our dishwashers and our, and, and, and our plumbing and, and all kind of things. Anything that might inconvenience our, our, our first world American way of life. That's the things we pray about. When's the last time we got earnest and got serious and got on our knees and said, God, here's somebody that's lost. I'm calling out their name. God, please save them by your good grace. Please save them. What about those that are on their way to hell? Paul said in Romans 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be saved. If you had all your prayers answered that you prayed this past week, just the last seven days, if God came through and answered every single one of them just like you wanted them to, which you ought to thank God He doesn't do that, but if he come through and answered every single one of them just like you asked him to, would anybody be going to heaven that was going to hell? 
If God come through and answered every prayer you got, would anybody's life be affected except your own? Would anybody's home change except yours? Would anybody's status, anybody's situation, their spiritual life, would it be improved at all? Is there anything spiritual? Or is it just money and, and, and gadgets and cars and houses and health stuff and, and, and livers and, 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 and kidneys and lungs and, all, and, and legs and arms and heads and ears? That's the kind of stuff we pray for. Listen, ain't nothing wrong with praying for health things. I know that, but a lot of times a prayer request time just turns into name that body part. I, th- I feel like I ought to have a medical degree as long as I've pastored and run prayer meetings on Wednesday night. Amen. I ought to be awarded with one. No offense to those that actually have, have, have some. I feel like I can name about every party, body part. <laughs> I know about every surgery. I know all kind of stuff. Because we're always praying. And by the way, I'm not don't get mad at me. There ain't nothing wrong with praying for that stuff. All I'm saying is, are there more important things that maybe we ought to? I mean, do we at least get 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 upset? As upset as we do about a bad doctor's report, do we get at least get as upset about about a soul going to hell? Can I tell you something? If God does heal somebody that that, that has physical infirmities, it doesn't matter. They're still going to die sometime. But there's a soul inside of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's going to live for all of eternity. How about your soul? How about souls of men? How about the souls of men? There's a requesting. That's what supplication is. There's just simply asking. Just do it. Just ask. Not only is there a requesting, but secondly, I see in the, the second word, the word prayers, there's implied here a returning a returning. I want you to notice that, that word, it's not prayer, it's prayers. It's plural. It implies a continual coming to God. It implies somebody that has a routine, somebody that has a habit, something that you do habitually, something that you do in routine. In fact, I just did a little quick, little quick search of the word prayers, not prayer, but prayers in the Bible. And most of the time, that's the context, that's the connotation. It's something that people do, uh, people do all the time, something that people do more than once, something that people do in a habit, in a routine. Speaks of the discipline of prayer, returning to God in prayer. Not just going one time and say, Well, I prayed for them, but go back and go back again and go back again. Have you ever heard the story of the uh, of the of the woman that would not quit banging on the door, not quit knocking on the door until she got an answer? Ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking until the answer comes. Don't give up on praying for somebody. Don't ever give up as as long as they got breath in their body, listen, pray for their soul to be saved. Don't give up. Listen, there's some people that people have given up on, church folk have given up on. If God had put them on your heart to pray for them, that's because God wants you to pray for them. It's just a continual repetitive practice. Making it a habit to pray. Returning in prayer. How many of you say, you know, I, there's some folks I used to have a burden for them, but that burden's just it's just kind of gone. I haven't haven't called their name out again. I'm praying that God would bring their names back to your mind and you'd pray. Amen. It's not that prayer works, it's that God works when we pray. It's not our prayers, it's just God. And that continual coming. God said He's just, that's how He is. He's just like that one who refuses to let up. 
knocking on that door. That woman, she needed, she needed something. She's going to get that judge. She's going to wake him up out of bed. Whatever she had to do. You know, go knocking on doors and sometimes I'm going to be honest. Can I, can I confess my faults to you? Is that all right? Is that all right? You won't tell nobody, will you? All right. I believe most of you. Sometimes I get up to the house and it may not look that, that great. It looks a little scary. Like these people probably have like 12 bodies in the basement maybe. And when I knock on the door, it's like this. <laughs> uh, one of the kids said, they got a door, but ah, it don't work. <clears throat> it don't work. I can tell by looking at it, that thing don't work. Please don't let nobody answer. Please don't let anybody answer the door. <laughs> that's horrible, ain't it? All right. Pray for me. All right. That's all I know to tell you. <laughs> One time, you know, and it's just like on the screen door, you know, on the outside. <laughs> Three seconds later, well, well, they're not coming to the door. Let's go on to the next house. That's not what he's talking about. That's how our prayer life is a lot of time, isn't it? We're just, all right, I did it, Lord. I did it. Check it off the box. All right, preacher told me to pray for somebody lost. I called their name out. No, he's talking about beating on the door, staying right there. Don't leave till you get an answer. Knocking on the door, not like a preacher, but like the police, <laughs> like the SWAT team. Amen. They they beat down the door, don't they? That returning. What's the next word? Intercessions. I'm going to use this word right here, and I'm going to explain why I use this word, but I believe this speaks of relating. Thirdly, relating. Because that word intercession, all these mean to, well, all these have to do with intercession. Supplicate, you're going to God on behalf. You're requesting something on behalf of somebody else. You're praying for somebody. Intercession, that's what intercession is, going to somebody on the behalf. So it has to do with all that, but as you study that word out just a little bit, it's more than just, it's more than just representing somebody. It's more than just going on behalf of somebody. This word speaks of relationship. It speaks of a, it speaks of a burden. It's not, like, it's not like an attorney that you hire to represent you. He doesn't know you. He really doesn't care about you. He's there professionally. He's there to get paid. He's there to maybe try to help do what he can do. But he doesn't really care whether you win or lose the case or you live or you die or whatever happens to your life. He's going to get his money. He's going to get his job done either way. And he is very aloof and very uh, very callously representing you. That's not the kind of intercession that we need. This is, some, this is like a mother going to a judge on the behalf of their son. Please. Oh, please have mercy. That's my boy. Don't put him to death. Don't send him some to prison for the rest of his life. That's intercession. Somebody that you are emotionally tied to Somebody that you care about. You know what that speaks of in our prayer? It's not that just that we pray. And every one of these kind of builds up just a little bit more. It's amazing how you study these words. It just kind of builds up. We got to go. We got to request. Make your request known unto God. But it's not just requesting, but keep requesting. Keep returning. Keep going. 
And it's not just that you go, and it's not just that you keep going, but it's that you keep going. Have a burden in your heart. Make it real. Is it real to you? Where's our burden went? How long has it been since you wept for a soul? How long has it been since the thought of somebody dying and going to hell without God? How long has it been since that literally tore you up on the inside? It's not just praying for them, but it's praying with a burden. James said it's the, it's the fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. It's fervent prayer. That means boiling hot. That's what that word fervent means. Hot prayers. I think our prayers have gotten cold. Have gotten stale. If it's just a, if all it looks like to you is just a name on a list instead of a soul that Jesus died for, that God wants to save, listen, we don't have the heart of God like we should. That intercession, somebody that cares deeply for whom they're representing. It's somebody that is under a burden. I believe in a lot of ways. I believe that's the missing element in our prayers. I wonder if we really care or are we just going through the motions. Paul said in Romans 9, Romans 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that might be saved. Romans 9, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He said, I have great heaviness and listen, continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, that's a level of intercession that I honestly, I don't know anything about. I'm going to be honest with you. It's like Moses standing in the gap. He said, Lord, if you're going to disown them, disown me too. That's, that's intercession. That's getting in with them. That's getting under that burden. That's what Paul said. I could wish myself accursed. You know what that word accursed means? It means to be separated from God eternally. Do you know what separation from God eternally is? It's hell. I don't know this level of intercession, but Paul had such a burden for all of Israel to be saved. He said, I wish, God, if there was a way that you could just kill me and I could go to hell for them. Trade me for all of them. He said, I'd do it. There's not a way to do it. That's not God's will. God already sent somebody to take to take our place. We've got to put faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And Paul knows that. Obviously he knows that. But that doesn't mean that's not how he's feeling. He's not getting theological here. He's just getting personal. And he said, it's, it's my, my desire. I have a continual sorrow. And we know Paul was a man of great joy. Paul was a man of happiness and joy and, 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 and deep contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, he had a continual sorrow. Is it? Is it possible to have both? Absolutely. Continual joy and continual sorrow are not mutually exclusive. Only saved people understand that. Only people that get under a burden. Man, I'm happy I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm shouting the victory all the way to heaven. But at the same time, man, I'm really burdened over people that are lost. Not like I ought to be, but, but there's a sorrow. There's a sorrow in my heart for people that are lost. The old song says, Brethren, see poor sinners round you, slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming, hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? 
see our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray. Holy manna will be showered all around. Songwriter said, don't you see them? They're sinking down into hell. Brethren, pray. Brethren, pray. I know it's a little serious in here this morning, but that's all right. It's time we get serious. Church ain't always happy clappy every Sunday morning. Sometimes we just need to be reminded there's a hell. People are really going there. We need to stand in the gap. We need to get in the way. We need to hold up that red light. Say, God, please don't let them go. Please don't let them go. You died for them. You want to save them. We need to pray. And the last word he uses is, or the last is a phrase. He said, then giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. This is, the, this is an even higher level. This builds up. There's a requesting. There's a returning. There's a relating. Getting a burden. Relating with them. Putting yourself in with them. And then there's what I'm going to call a rejoicing. A rejoicing, giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. You know, all of our prayer, every prayer, even the ones that are serious like this, prayed for lost, every one of our prayers should have an element of thanksgiving in it. Every single one of our prayers. Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. When we bring our, the Bible tells us when we bring our petitions, when we, when we, when we bring our requests, let your, he said, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving, it's the, it's the ingredient. It's got to be there. You, know, you don't come without thanksgiving. It's not that we go to God and we, we point our finger and say, You owe us something. You owe me this. Give me what you owe me. No, 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 no. That's not how we go to God. We go to God with thankful hearts. Say, God, you've been way better than me what I deserve. And God, i got a burden on my heart. But God, I want you to know you don't owe me one thing. You don't owe me anything at all. In fact, I owe you all glory. I owe you all praise. I owe you all the, all the honor. Lord, it all belongs to you. All the praise, it all goes to you. You are the one. And we begin to rejoice. We begin to thank Him. And we rejo- How can we rejoice in somebody lost going to hell? How do, we, how do we give thanks for that? I don't think He's saying we give thanks that they're lost. But it's giving thanks in spite of the fact that they're lost. Can I tell you the ultimate, I mean the height of worship is when you can say, God, here's what I need. That's level one, requesting. Lord, I'm going to stay here till you give it to me. You bang on the door. You keep returning. That's good. Relating, get a burden. Get under a burden. That, inter- that real intercession. But when you can say to God, Lord, even if you don't do it, even if you don't answer this prayer, even if you don't save them, even if I never get to see it, God, I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to give you thanks. And I'm going to give you praise. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you start only worshiping God, because He answers your prayer the way you want Him to, you won't be worshiping Him long. Because you don't understand, we're not, we're not ordering something out of a Sears and Roebuck catalog. 
Prayer is not Amazon.com. That makes more sense to this generation. I'm not old, but I'm old enough. Every time we go to my granny's house, that's what we do. We get out the Sears catalog and start circling things that we wanted. Now it's on Amazon. Now our kids, they just text me a, 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 my wish list on Amazon. Just kidding. My kids don't text me that. They don't have a phone, but your kids might. God's not Amazon. He's not the cosmic Santa Claus in the sky. He's God. He sits in the heavens and he does what he wants to do. Amen. And we come to him. We better remember that. Lord, you're worthy of praise. Here's what I need. I'm going to keep bugging you (laughs) with it. I'm serious and I'm burdened about it. But even if you don't answer it, I'm going to thank you and I'm going to praise you anyway. Amen. Amen. I believe believe God's going to save my children. I believe they're going to grow up and they're going to serve God with their lives. But if they don't, that's what we pray for. But if they don't, it doesn't change the fact that he's still worthy of praise. There's people I'm praying for. I hope they get saved. I want them to get saved. I'm praying to God to give me a greater burden for lost people. But if they don't, that's not going to shake my faith in him. Because God's always right. God's always right. He's God no matter what. He's worthy of thanks and praise no matter what. Miss Maddie, you can come around to the piano. Even if it never happens, my praise is tied into who you are, not what you do or what you could do for me. How about that? Paul, I mean, the Holy Ghost specifically put them words in there. He could have just said pray, right? The Holy Ghost said through Paul, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. And we're commanded to pray for the lost. This is a command. It's a Bible exhortation. We're commanded to do it. My question is, I guess, are you obedient? Anytime there's a command, we've got to ask ourselves that. Are we being obedient to it? But secondly, why are we doing it? Why are we obeying is it, is it? Is it from the heart? Is it a burden? Are we being faithful? Do we really love and trust God enough that even if He doesn't answer our prayers like we want Him to, we're going to be grateful to Him no matter what? <laughs>